0: Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly glimpse into the bar and restaurant scenes of one of the sudsiest cities in America, hot and sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Al Mancini, joined this week by producer Rich Johnson. Jason Harris being off this week, it's just us. Rich, how are you? I'm uh, doing well.
1: We're up here at uh, beautiful... Legacy Lounge at the top of Circa. We just did an interview that will air in a few weeks with Melinda Shekels and John Katzlamidis just to, to, to tease you a little bit about what's coming up on this show. But we've got a lot of things going on And you right will be here. hearing
0: Jason just momentarily, yes, by the way. Yes, Because we can't have a show without his lovely voice.
1: Yeah. you ever had one of those times uh, where you want to check out a place you have visited? You look at the menu online and nothing Speaks to you. You really want to go and you just can't talk yourself into it. Well, that happened to me last weekend. I I look at the menu. Usually I'll find two or three nominees Mm -hmm. that I will eventually order one. This time it just didn't work for me. Uh, I'll try again another time, but it was a fending from the freezer Saturday night. I'll get there eventually, but not yet. Okay. But well, you always got to go somewhere whether you like it or not.
0: There's a lot of places to go. I made it into Nomad this weekend, primarily to see Brian Newman perform at his After Dark show. I saw John us over there. That was a lot of fun. Uh, before, uh, actually, <laughs> there's a fun story about that. I, I went in for dinner prior, and I'm going to talk a bit about that, but yeah. I, I recognized the guy at the table next to me, and I, you know, I could overhear a little bit of the conversation. I knew I knew the guy. I didn't know who he was. Then he moved up further for the show, and at a certain point, I I saw him pouring Louis the Thirteenth cognac. Oh, lots. Of it lots of this stuff right and um probably a dozen pours i don't know what they charge in there for louis 13th but it's a lot of people and um yeah and he was just handing it out to people didn't send one my way and i was like okay i don't really know who that is and then i go, went to use the restroom afterwards the guy comes up to me he's like hey man how are you you're the food writer um i didn't want to come over and bother you but um you know <laughs> i'm the rep for louis trey and uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, so that that, that shit was free it. for you and you didn't send one over to my table but um but oh. anyway, that that just made me a little sad because I mean oh, he must man. have poured ten thousand dollars worth of Louis Trey that I was watching him board that night. Um, God, but
1: it dude. was so yeah. I was uh, after dark and nomad. I, I see all the pictures from that from from uh, Murray and from Johnny Katz and a couple from you and. Yeah, i gotta, I got to save up and skip a house payment one day and try that out.
0: Yeah, I mean, Brian Newman's show is great. After Dark is great. It's definitely a musician's show, a musician's musician show, right? So everybody who's up there has toured with some fantastic people, and they're all brilliant. They go up and they jam. Uh, and, I, and I saw some great people play at this particular show. The thing that's weird about it is because um, a lot of these folks have played with Gaga, over the years yeah. and um, so when she's in town she will frequently stop by and get up and sing a song and as a result a lot of pop fans tend to show up there like thinking they're going to see a Gaga set right it kind of reminds me of when Andy Kaufman used to book his alter ego but then he wasn't there he let yeah. his partner do it um, so you know like I, I, and I'll tell you it's a brilliant set and it, for people that love live music you should definitely go there um, I, I don't go to see Gaga you might see her but that's not the reason you go because the set itself you're going to have a great time whether she's Can there or not. categorize the Overwhelming genre of the music? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's kind of like classic jazz meets acid jazz. Okay. Um, a lot of it reminded me of a heavy metal show where everybody gets a chance to do their own um, their own solo, right? So that somebody will start playing on a riff and it'll go on for a really long time. Uh, they had. Oh God, I can't remember. A local Las Vegas who was just a legend of acid jazz. And he was up there and he would start into one of his songs. And then, you know, the bass player would do a solo. Then the horn player would yeah. do a solo. Then the other horn player would do a solo. So there's a lot of that going on. I noticed, by the way, since we're here to talk about food, though, there's some differences um, while I was there. Nomad Restaurant is now called Nomad Library. Don't let that confuse you the place is beautiful still a restaurant though still a restaurant and it looks like the it always has looked like the library and beauty and the beast so yeah. you know it's, it makes sense for them to play that up um Sh- chef michael Relergent, excuse me he's revamped the menu a bit big surprise for me was the signature chicken has changed um, you know, they always had the truffle <laughs> chicken that was close to $100. Um, it's definitely 90 plus. I forget the exact price. It was oh. a huge dish, and it was their signature. And I would have to convince people that it was worth it to spend $90 plus dollars on chicken, because it totally was. Um, well, but it's not a
1: one-serving chicken. No, either, right? no. It's it was a table. whole
0: chicken at the time. And, yeah. you know, you'd share it. Um, so the new chicken, and this is probably because chef changes and ownership, whatever. Uh, this is a half chicken stuffed with Parmesan, lemon, and brioche, served with saffron rice that's made with mushrooms and chorizo, it is $41, so much more affordable for you. I know there are still people out there um, who are listening to this that are saying they would never spend $41 on a chicken dish. Um, All I'm saying is give this one a try because it is worth it. I like it. And it probably goes well with some Louis XIV. Louis XIII. XIII. Excuse me. I'm looking at the number. I should
1: put my glasses Louis Trey. Okay. So I'm a sucker for junk food. You know, places like Whole Foods and Sprouts, they see me coming these days, and they stock these healthy versions of uh, quick items for the freezer. I was at Sprouts last week, and I came upon a thing called Bowza.
0: Yes, Bowser. the
1: line on the box is pizza tastes better in a bowza." So it so, rhymes with yowza. Yowza, yes. My
0: wife will get that reference from me. No one else will. but I will get that because I saw
1: that movie, They Shoot Horses, Don't They? 1973, Jane Fonda, Michael Sarazen, and the great Gig Young who said, okay. yowza, yowza, yowza. All right. Let's uh, end at the history lesson. Okay. All right, so bowza is a pizza filling inside a bow. I got five versions: a margarita, a pepperoni, barbecue chicken, cheese, spinach, and the Italian sausage. Is that's what I grabbed? Two in a package. They sell for around, actually, about ten bucks in a package. Gold Belly says these online packs of twelve for seventy-nine dollars. That is six dollars and sixty cents each. Now this has suddenly turned into an
0: algebra problem.
1: I know. I'm sorry, but but um, the the cost. <laughs> Also kind of outrages me. You can steam them, you pan fry them, you deep fry them, you microwave them, you toast them. I did what the instructions said. I microwaved it for a minute, and then I put it in the toaster oven for about five. A little bit overdone on the outside. Uh, And acceptably hot on the inside. Uh, I will post the pictures, both the package and its beautiful Mm -hmm. shot of all the stuff inside, the nice array of cheese and sauce and sausage bits and onions and green peppers. And I'll post the picture of the one I cut open after I cooked it where I could find no onions, no peppers. I got like three satisfying bites out of each half, meaning a good portion of cheese and the sauce and Mm -hmm. something that I...
0: Believe in my heart was sausage. I'm starting to feel really sad that I don't invite you out more often. <laughs> I, when I hear yeah. your eating habits.
1: Sometimes. Oh, <laughs> well, it's not a habit, but it is a <laughs> once in a while indulgence. Anyway, the uh, the verdict on Bowser is, uh, you know, as the horse said, "No, sir." I do not like
0: it. Okay. And you know what? I probably would have guessed that when I saw this. About that. <laughs> um, well, you know, meanwhile, go back to Nomad Library. I'd recommend In yeah. addition to that chicken. There's a suckling pig. There's a good prime rib preparation. Those are some of my favorites. So, you know, you, yeah. you, you I got to start taking you out. I'm feeling bad. <laughs> um, hey, you know, when Las Vegas has been on fire these days, their newest addition is the Overlook. I mean, first of all, we all know they just opened Delilah not that long ago. Super gorgeous, beautiful, posh, yeah. live music, etc. cetera. Uh, new addition. An Overlook Lounge It's actually called Overlook Lounge or Overlook Lounge Spirits and Aperatifs. Aperitifs. Uh, it occupies the real estate that was once held by Parasol Up Bar and I was there for a media preview. I've already posted some photos of the room and the cocktails on social media as well as some images of um, the lead mixologist, my longtime friend Marina Mercer Borini. She is doing some very cool stuff over there and instead of me talking about it, let's listen to her.
2: When I designed the cocktail menu, um, I was looking at, I was perusing the uh, design deck that Todd avery Lenahan our chief creative officer, um, had sent over and I wrote one word down. I wrote the word iconic. And I didn't write anything else on a post-it. I thought, how do I take something iconic and put that into a cocktail? So all of the names are oblique references to different iconic, um, you know, people in fashion or film, uh, history, mythology. Um, and then I designed a line of edible aperitif perfumes to finish um, spritzes, um, spritz being kind of the darling of the aperitif world. And um, each one encapsulates an aroma um, from a different glamorous locale. So there is, Paris it is uh, red wine, uh, elderflower, kind of a, think of like a sultry Parisian boutique hotel. Uh, there is Morocco. Um, I won a global competition uh, there. So when I close my eyes, I think of kind of the souks of Marrakech and some of the spices in the markets. Uh, so there is Bombay chai, um, Madagascar vanilla and apricot in that one. Uh, what else? Let's see. Milan. Uh, my favorite smells like fashion week when I thought, what does a supermodel smell like? Um, I thought maybe fancy hair products and um, perfumes, so I did, you know, different floral notes to it, uh, jasmine, orange blossom, and then maybe, you know, a cheeky cigarette or too, so there's a slight smoke on the end of that one as well. Um, and then Amalfi, being the Amalfi Coast in Italy, so there's Sicilian Citrus, uh, Bergamo in that as well. Um, so each one of these finishing sprays um, really just adds a lot of glamour to each cocktail.
1: What does a supermodel smell like? Oh gosh, that sounds like a restraining order, just waiting to happen.
0: I really wish that I knew what a supermodel smelled like in person, ah. that I could tell you that. But I, I'm going to take her word for it. I, I love it because some of these cocktails, many of them that, that she and her team are making over there, are very simple. They're, you know, they're a, a take on an aperol spritz, for example, and just oh. you know, spiced up a little. But then she adds these edible perfumes at the end, and that's really cool. I feel like so much more time probably went up, went into to mixing up those edible perfumes than yeah. and actually of the simple cocktails that they adorn. So that, that's a lot of fun, man. You got to go over there and if you need yeah. to know what a supermarket smells like, yeah. You know? Um, what else? As we are preparing to head into our big beer discussion in just a moment, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I attended the Nevada beer bash this weekend at Ellis Island's front yard. It was a gathering of local brewers and fans of Nevada craft beer. And while all the brewers were busy pouring samples of their great beers, they did manage to get some time with Matt Brady of Astronomy Aleworks to ask him what this particular festival was all about. This
3: is the first time we've done this event. Uh, I love it so far. I love these kind of small type events where um, it's really cozy and you get actual people from the brewing community over here. You don't get a bunch of people who are tourists and whatnot. Not that we don't love tourists, but these are the people who come to our places, uh, drink our beer, and this is a great reward for them to come out, be a part of this community and everything.
0: And Matt's a great guy. You can usually find him over at Astronomy Outworks Brewery and Tasting Room in the Henderson Booze District.
1: And speaking of the Booze District, that is where we recorded our next segment, just a few doors down from Astronomy at Craft House Brewery's Tasting Room.
0: Wow, that's an awesome tease, Rich. Um, And a great reason for you to keep listening. We'll be back with our local craft beer conversation with Dave Forrest and Bob Barnes in just a moment, followed by a rundown of some local news, my weekly edibles review, and probably a bit more. So keep listening. I have thoughts. He does, in fact, have thoughts. This is Food and Loathing you <laughs> Welcome back to Food and Loathing. For this segment, we are in the Henderson Booze District, which actually still remains an undiscovered gem for many, many visitors to Las Vegas. And we are here in the tasting room of Craft House Brewery, which really changed this district from kind of an office park that housed some alcohol manufacturers to our valley's first real craft beer destination. So joining us to explain how that happened and reflect on how the local craft beer scene has evolved in the years since is one of Craft House's creators, Dave Forrest. Dave, how are you today?
4: I am fantastic. Al, thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on Food and Loathing Podcast. Thanks,
0: man. We're excited to be doing it, and um, your lovely wife, Wendy, is here as well. I think she's pouring us some beers right now, so more on that momentarily. But Jason, you want to talk about who else we have? I do, and I'm happy to be here
3: in this beautiful space. You guys, you got to come see it over here at Craft House. Uh, joining us as well for this segment is Bob Barnes, who's been covering the Nevada beer scene since 1998, his column, Nevada Beer Nugget. In Celebrator Beer News was the first national magazine column ever about the Silver States breweries. He currently reports on Las Vegas restaurants and beer for Gallo, as well as Las Vegas Magazine and OTS Media, which full disclosure I also write for. Hi, Bob. How's it going?
5: It's going great, and I'm here to do my favorite thing in the world, which is to talk about local beer. All right.
0: Local beer. And that is the question people always ask me, you know, because beer, beer geeks, when they come to a city or beer aficionados, whatever you guys call yourselves. What, are,
4: what are you called? I'm just a regular person who enjoys a good quality <laughs> beer. And if it's made locally in my backyard, then I'm all for it.
0: Well, people always ask me, how's the Las Vegas craft beer scene? And I really tell them that they should either come to Craft House and ask whoever's working here, or they should read what Bob has to say about it. Because that's why I love this podcast. I could just get the people that I call for help right here helping people directly so let's start with that how is the Las Vegas craft beer scene
4: that's a uh, great question and it's thriving and growing and it's actually a a pretty fun time right now in the Las Vegas beer scene Um, Wendy and I created craft house seven years ago changing licensing with the city of Henderson and It has since helped this city uh, open four or five uh, more breweries, and I know there's some in the works and planning. So a lot of exciting things uh, for the craft beer fan within Las Vegas and within Henderson, for sure. Cool and
0: first of all, some beers just arrived at the table. Yeah. So um, and, and Wendy ducked out after dropping them off, so she didn't give us a rundown. But here they are. Can you you want to tell people, and we're going to take some pictures to put up on the um, on the socials. But what are we looking at here?
4: Yeah. Right uh, from left to right, it looks like we have a nice beer flight, colorful and effervescent, and all kinds of things going on. Great aromas. Uh, the first one though is Czech Pilsner, so it's our traditional Czech Pilsner. Uh, Razzle All Day, which is a, uh, speaking of not only local beer but Nevada beer, we did a collaboration with our friends up in Great Basin. And so this is a collaboration of one of their beers and our beers uh, forged in one and we just released it actually. So Razzle all Day is a fruited sour, that's the pink one here. And then we did a Hot Vegas as well, so it's kind of our newer uh, West Coast style IPA that uh, we just launched kind of during COVID and uh, has been becoming a fan favorite uh, across the valley. And then uh, this looks like dry heat, our hazy IPA, which is becoming a very, very famous uh, style that people are enjoying and then cuckoo it's a traditional um, munich uh, dunkel style lager so running the full gamut on different kinds of beers
3: well i have a question for you west coast ipa explain to me what that means why is it specific to this region
4: well a west coast has more a lot to do with the hops and where they're harvested so a lot of the hops that are used within this particular style are um uh, grown on the west coast of the u.s well that would make sense yeah so, so that's a good question, Jason. How many of the. Is this typical of what I would get if I ordered a flight when I came into the craft house tasting room here? Absolutely. We usually have anywhere from 20 to 24 uh, different beers on Tapal. So people are more than welcome to come into either location and look at the menu and then get a, a wide variety. It's really important for us to. Create new styles that people are looking for. Be innovative and creative with some of those styles, but also more traditional and old world. So, if someone's coming in just looking for a a traditional, you know, German style or a Czech Pilsner, they can also uh, get that, and we can kind of entertain uh, many varieties.
1: A geography question about the hops: Is it still pretty much just Yakima Valley, or are other places around the West growing hops? Because I grew up going to my grandparents in the early '60s and seeing those acres and acres of telephone poles yeah. or so it'll
4: look like they said that's the hops where almost all beer in the world gets their hops yeah. from, from yeah you're 100 right the majority for the u.s is in that region we actually just signed our uh, hop contract for the next fall because harvest happens you know in september so we're excited to be getting new hops and new varieties um but yeah you're uh you're right the majority of them for the u.s are cultivated in that area
5: I want want to jump in with a story about how Dave and I came to be friends long before Craft House came to be. Please. Um, Dave and Wendy, actually, I don't know if it was both of you or just you, they entered a competition with Sierra Nevada Brewing Company uh, to go to the beer camp. And they sent in a video of how much they loved Sierra Nevada beer and where they drank it all over the world. And so he won an invitation to go to the beer camp. And so Wendy contacted me, wanted to know if I would mention it in my Celebrator Beer News column. And that's how we came to meet, went and had the beer that he made at beer camp. And so after that, we became friends, and he would have me over to his house. And every single time, he would do a blind tasting. Where he would have me taste a uh, commercial brew and one of his home brews and tell which one I liked the best, and a hundred percent of the time I always picked Dave's beers. Wow. So, so he was destined to be a brewery owner. So this, about what year was this, Dave, that you were doing home brewing?
0: Was
4: that um, well Sierra? Let's we could go back Sierra. That was when Sierra Nevada was celebrating their. Was it their 35th, I think, anniversary? And Ken Grossman, the founder of Sierra Nevada, wanted to pay homage to the home brewer because that was his roots. So, yeah, he did kind of like a golden ticket special, you know, one-off program. And they selected uh, 10 people to come to Sierra Nevada and brew. So, I would say that's probably at least 10, about 10 years ago, I want to say, least, yeah. when we did that. And then, yeah, for fun, we just became friends. Wendy reached out to, to Bob and... I would brew a beer and then I would buy the commercial version of that beer and I wouldn't let Bob <laughs> uh, know which one was mine and which one. And, but we had a lot of fun. And that's the, that's the great thing. We have a great relationship and beer, you know, just like me, there's a lot of homebrewers out there and people that just love, you know, great beer. And and uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, to be able to uh, create Craft House. But at the same time, our vision has always been a, a bigger focus in, in creating a community. And I think really that's what we've strived to do. And I, it's, it makes me feel good after seven years because I think we can now look back and see that there has been some change. And it excites me for the future because I think you know as more people learn about local beer and craft beer and expand on their palates and the different offerings, and it challenges the breweries to make different offerings, it's an exciting time for sure.
0: It's amazing to me here to hear you say seven years. And I'm looking at your t-shirt now. It says Established 2014. Craft House just feels like it has always been such a part of this community for me Um, and you guys it's just amazing that it's only been seven years because you were so established as one of the key local brewers but I want to go back to way back to back when Bob started writing about beer in 1998 I moved here in 2001, and I'm just trying to remember. I was not a big beer fan. I mean, I I drank beer, but, you know, I was not a big craft beer guy. I remember that we had, like, the Holy Cow, maybe Tanea Creek, maybe Ellis Island was brewing, maybe Barthies. Am I even remembering the names
5: right? And were were those the early ones, Bob? Yeah, I can give you a quick rundown of the the first breweries in southern Nevada. The first was Holy Cow in 1993, which would open just about two weeks after Great Basin opened which happened after they passed a law allowing breweries in Nevada but they had this funky law that you had to in a city over a hundred thousand population had to be either uh in a redistrict, redistricting uh area I forget what the other one was but holy cow why they chose that location that Sahara and and the strip was because that was in the in that district. And so that opened in ninety three as the first. It was followed in nineteen ninety six by Barley's and Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo Brew Pub uh, opened the same year. 777 wow. at uh, Main Street Station opened in 97. Gordon Bierce also 97. Ellis Island 1998. Tanea Creek 1999. And Chicago brewing in 2000. So those were the very first ones. And that holy cow spot is now a dispensary, right? <laughs> oh, I thought it was a Walgreens. I, is it? Is it you
0: know. a Walgreens? Uh, uh, for a some reason I thought there was too. a dispensary over there. I could be wrong. Don't don't quote me on that, people.
5: (laughs) But I want to throw in an interesting thing about Monte Carlo Brew Pub. Uh, It it soon became one of the the number one selling independent brew pub in the U.S. And for like four or five years it was. And then in their infinite wisdom, uh, MGM Properties decided to close the brew pub because they were building city center. And they figured out that they would make more with retail space than that. And then, this, then the recession hit, so we know what happened mm. after that. Well, um, I'm
3: looking at Al's notes. He did a great job kind of uh, outlining the history here. Kudos to you, sir. I thank you. Um, you have the freaking Frog on here, which as a young comedian I used to perform at every week, and I remember that as like the major beer bar at the UNLV uh, college district. Do you guys want to talk a little about the freaking Frog?
4: I, I remember going there in that I was a UNLV, Wendy and I both were UNLV students. Uh, we graduated in over four and we made a few trips definitely over to the frickin frog and billied up to the bar and had some fun different beers for sure that they had there
5: well adam Carmer was definitely a pioneer for supporting uh beer at that time one of the very first to have a beer a uh, beer bar of that type and he had hundreds of beers when no one else really had more than a dozen so he he really was one of the very first to do that. And
0: it was not a brewery, but it was I guess just a, a bottle shop you would call it, or I mean I don't know no I don't know what you would call craft it just a
4: craft beer bar, craft yeah. beer bar, so, yeah. But and definitely one of the original for sure.
0: Right in a kind of divey area near UNLV, which was a great place for college kids to go and hang out. And he had the whiskey attic upstairs. Yeah, for a while, that. Which yeah, which was I, really fun. It was
3: the first place I ever headlined, so you could tell why people needed to drink all that beer. <laughs> yeah.
4: you know. Well, didn't he also do? A, I tried to get in. There was a beer. Class at UNLV, and I think I never, I, I remember every year as I was going there to try to get in, never made it in because it was obviously very popular. Yeah, he taught but that I class. I think he taught he the, taught cl- the yeah. Beer
0: class, yeah. And then he served all of the students. We know- so we know what happened to. Him? i see him around every once in a while but i okay. mean since COVID, i don't know what happened to anybody i'm I, surprised no, you guys yeah, are all still it, here hanging out with me
4: so. <laughs> it's been it's, we, it was, it's, it's been a tough year but we worked very very hard and i'll be honest too even for craft house to go through we we really kind of stepped up to the plate and swung for the fences on a lot of we implemented new beers different crazy styles new ingredients and uh, the community took to it. Everyone really loved a lot of the things that we did. So it was great. It it turned to be okay for us, that's for sure.
3: You buzzworded me crazy styles. You know I love <laughs> I love hearing stuff like that. Explain what uh what
4: Well try this one right here it's if my, you will. That's my, my favorite one. one. Well, that that we had never done anything like that before and the Razzle all day. The yeah. Razzle yeah. So we actually uh started it uh, like I said, about six months ago or so we brewed it for the first time and it was just it was a beer that was just completely off the wall it was higher abv it was a fruited sour um and just uh we we call it a parfait as well because there's lactose and there's all kinds of just different ingredients if you will and uh we, we weren't sure what people would think of it and people have absolutely loved it. And, and my wife so, enjoys
0: sours a lot. And I was thinking yeah. of her when I was drinking this, that she would definitely, you could that. have it for breakfast and tell her, I'm just having a
4: parfait. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so then to play on that after, cause it was such a huge success during, again, you know, pivoting during COVID times. Um, we, again, uh, hats off to, to the f- people up in Reno and uh, the brewers up there. And we're great friends with Tom and everyone jazz, the brewer at great basin. And, We've been wanting to do a collaboration with them for since we opened, and we have a, a great relationship with them, and, and we finally were able to, Wendy and I did a trip up to Reno, and uh, we kind of just talked about it, and Tom said, yeah, let's do it, and so what you see in front of you is actually what we're tasting, so we took our parfait all day, and we took their award-winning um, razzle, and put them together and created this imperial collaboration uh, that just got released. So, Well, this is a lot of fun. That's chasing.
0: definitely a standout of what I've had off this flight so far. Great. You talk about rolling with the punches and being able to adapt. This very room we're sitting in was really a testament to you really working hard to to adapt, but also to change the system, to, to change what the laws were and what the rules were. And... I, I want to explain to people a little bit who have never been to the Henderson Booze District because right now. It's, it's in the, what looks like an office park in Henderson, kind of in the middle of nowhere, no disrespect. Um, yeah, no. And you don't think there'd be anything here except loading docks and things like that. And yet we have three or four breweries. We have a winemaker in here. We have a whiskey distillery in here. I know the whiskey distillery came first. I think you guys were first after that, but you weren't allowed to have a tasting room. So could you give me the, the explain
4: how, yeah. you, how you fought to change that rule? Absolutely. Well, yeah. Um... The uh, Las Vegas Distillery, you're 100% right, was the first within that within this booze district. And uh, then Great uh, Grape Expectation was then the next uh, manufacturer and then Craft House. Um, for Wendy and I, though, at the time, we were we spent almost a year looking for a location, Al. And that was just as we couldn't find a place that we could serve beer to guests that was retail and then also manufacture in the back. Um, and then so after probably about a year of looking for locations – We came across uh, George and the Las Vegas Distillery, and what an amazing person and a great personality, and he just understood changing laws, and and George actually was the true pioneer in in creating this district, Uh, was able to change things and get a distillery actually opened, and then Great Base, or excuse me, Great expectations, then came on board shortly after. Um, but Wendy and I, yeah, creating Craft House, we saw what they had done, so we knew we wanted to manufacture here. Um, however, we wanted to have the tasting component because we felt if we could create a space for people to come and engage and interact with each other, that would be the win. Not just to make it, manufacture it, and sell it out the back door. So we became registered lobbyists, fought with the city for over a year. Sorry, worked with the city of Henderson for over <laughs> a year. We, all, uh, we have great relationships with them now and uh, which has been fantastic but we were able to actually yeah, change that licensing to allow us to have two separate businesses within one location and then we worked uh, with the zoning department over at the city to then also change and delineate uh, this whole city block so thus that's how it's helped the other breweries to come into this area because we were able to change not only licensing but zoning and work with the landlords. Wasn't
5: wasn't there a huge difference in the cost as
4: well? Yeah, that's a. I'm glad you brought that up, Bob. Yeah, it used to be. It was a sixty thousand uh, dollar license um, prior to us. Working with the city to change that, and we were able to get it from a $60,000 license, actually down to a $10,000 license. Uh, and, uh, so it made it much more affordable. One of the breweries. keys there
0: was that you didn't want to have gaming in here, right? Because yeah. there's nobody runs a bar in Las Vegas without those no. video poker machines. And Wendy's spoken to me a lot about why it was important to you not to have video poker at the bar. Could you just briefly explain why uh, you think that's about building community, et cetera?
4: Absolutely. Um, That was a big component is back to the point. We wanted to create a space that was comfortable for people to come and engage and socialize. But also we knew the, let's say, the Nevada style pub that we're all familiar with. You go in, you get a beer, you put a 20 in the machine, and then you sit and you put your head down and you play. And we, we, we knew that existed and there's nothing wrong with that. But we wanted to create something different and dynamic and unique. And by eliminating the gaming component, people could come and engage with their friends and get to know the bartender and talk about the beer. I mean, that's what is supposed to bring people here. So um, we were able to just work with the city and kind of lower the price and then also also eliminate the gaming component out of that particular license. I've used this word earlier, pioneer, but I feel like
5: Craft House was a pioneer in that because of what they did to get that law change, it led to a lot of other breweries opening up that probably wouldn't have opened up otherwise. Now
3: we're seeing the arts district come up as the next beer hotspot. Um, what is the relationship between the booze district and the arts district as far as uh, beer goes?
4: Uh- Great question, Jason. And yeah, it, it was fun to. And I thank you for that compliment too, by the way, Bob. I'm very humble, and I I just I like to see it as we just we're trying to change the whole community, and, and we're excited to do that. And it, I re, I'll be honest, we got a lot of pushback, you know, seven years ago when people were like, "Why are you trying to do this? And this doesn't make any sense." And it feels really good now, you know, it it really does to see the growth and the change and the new opportunities for new breweries to open. So and how I'm many very are in happy here right
0: that. now. Before you get to Jason
4: talking question about the arts district, very important, and I want to hear yeah. that. But how many are right here in the boost District? There are three uh, currently right here. There is uh, Bad Bee Brewing, and then there's also Astronomy Ale Works. And I have uh, been, just heard there might be uh, one in planning as well. So you never know. Now, also just also down the, the road. And also
0: the wine and the whiskey and then, that you yep, can walk over and taste. And yep. I believe some cider. uh at the wine. Yeah, so
4: Grape Expectation is the winemaking school and then they actually opened up uh, a tasting room similar to ours. They saw the success and saw people, you know, really wanted that idea where they could come and have a place to come and enjoy a a beer. So they they did the same thing, which has worked out really well and that's called uh, Vegas Valerie Winery. So you can also, you can make wine on one side or you can just go and drink wine on the other side. So...
0: Now, getting back to Jason's very important question, the relationship. And is there, I know you're located in
4: the Arts District and here, but is there a competition between those two neighborhoods? Or what's the vibe? Yeah, that's a a really good question. And uh, it's exciting times, like I was saying. Here is uh, kind of more of manufacturing, let's be honest. Like you were saying, it, it definitely just feels, you know, we have big buildings and it's that we're manufacturers here uh down in the arts district is um there are breweries that have moved in down there when we moved in there about two years ago we're a, we just built a secondary tasting room just so that everyone knows we have 24 taps down there but we do all of our manufacturing here and we send it down there uh, via our distributor. However, the, the feel down there, it's fun, it's eclectic. I want to say the, the demographic in the neighborhood is just a little bit more vibrant. You know, there's not much, you know, here as far as retail or even as far as homes and kind of people walking around. But down there, there's definitely a little bit more energy. Future. And to that end,
1: everybody who comes here is coming here in a car. Do you have to, you feel that responsibility to watch out, to make sure moderation is the, is the, the, the the phrase
4: that pays yeah absolutely i mean that's everyone you know as a server that's everyone's responsibility for sure but you hit the nail right on the head the booze district is definitely more of a destination location where someone's driving here they're then jumping around from spot to spot where we're finding with the arts district people are just maybe going down to see art maybe they're shopping maybe they're you know maybe grabbing a bite to eat right. and, and and we have more of a a casual guest that comes in not necessarily always just someone going specifically for the Brewery and the beer
5: well, I would I would say in the arts district there's 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 numerous different venues that offer craft beer there's uh there, there's six breweries and tap rooms and then there's some really awesome craft beer bars like silver stamp and cerveza so you you could free spend sheets. and three free, free well, right? so, so you could spend like several nights just uh, exploring Cruising them all.
3: there yeah Bob I want to follow up with you because you write about food also do you think Uh, A food component down here would bring in a greater clientele or how would that kind of work down
5: here? I kind of feel like it's a different animal down here. I think people down here just want to come for the beer. So maybe have some food trucks and whatnot. But I think the arts district, you know, has it's really opening up a lot of good restaurants lately. So I think it kind of has more of an appeal to, to go there and stay there. Whereas I feel like the booze district is, like you said earlier, really more of a destination yeah. that you come, especially f- for the beer venues that are here.
0: If somebody asks me, now again, I, I always defer to you, Bob, for beer ad- advice, especially tourist advice. But if tourists ask me, like, you know, where should I go? If I know everybody in their party is a serious craft beer fan or a serious drinking, you know, of, of local Creations fan I will always send them out to Henderson I think this is the place to go you're closer to where they make it you're you're more likely to be able to talk to the brewer who's in the back room all of that kind of fun stuff Um, but if you have one or two serious beer people in your party but you just really want to explore Las Vegas neighborhood, then you go down to the Arts District. And what I love, what you could do, Craft House. You guys are on like the coolest block, the coolest Thanks. little half block down there. You share a patio with um, Garagiste um, Wine Bar, which is also where you get um, Paradise City Creamery vegan ice cream named after strippers, and Esther's Kitchen right. across the street. Veggie, uh, um, excuse me, um, Taco Tarian for the vegetarians, right? So that block that you're on right there has everything people could possibly need. And then you go around the corner and you find other breweries. I love the Abel Baker guys down there. I love, you know, the Huddle People guys are cool. Nevada Brew Works. You got Bruce Kalman serving up barbecue right in the middle of two great places. Yeah. So th- there's more to do there. Yeah. But here you can really nerd out.
4: Yeah, down there, I mean, we we spent looking. We knew we wanted a second location. And I'll be honest, again, we spent over a year looking for this first original location. And then we spent probably about the same amount of time, a year, really trying to decide where we wanted to open up a second craft house. And we loved that feel. At the time, there was just Larry, owner of uh, Makeshift Union, was the only one on that street at the time. And the idea was we saw the opportunity with the area. And um, Kevin, the owner of HopNuts, was a good friend, and he was down there doing some great stuff. And Derek, owner of Rebar, and the you know ladies over at Velveteen. I mean, there were some real pioneers, I'll be honest, in that area that saw it you know years before now and uh Wendy and I saw that uh, that building and that street like you were saying and we there was no one in there like I said at the time but we saw the potential of fun people moving in and uh so we were really excited when all of our neighbors started kind of moving in and we got you know vegan tacos and wine and craft beer and all kinds of stuff and it's just it's been uh it's been awesome. Just
3: ping and pong and yeah.
4: Ping pong and oh, and then sushi it just opened up as well. You and me right, sushi yeah. opened up, and there's an ice cream shop around the right. corner, and just fun different, different stuff going on or something. Yeah, got some called, kind of oh, double on yeah, your yeah, name I don't know. on that. We place. had it. just horrible. We took the kids there for ice cream, but I don't remember the name. <laughs> it was <bad>. it's <laughs> called and Cream. And then even beside us, I think I you know just a little. I know there's there the landlord with me there's they've signed a lease anyways, and another food establishment that's. Unique to everything on that street is is going to be potentially coming as well. So a lot of cool stuff. We might
3: see a James Trees Market. Uh, That's off the record. Nobody (laughs) heard
4: that. (laughs) Uh, James is a great friend. James uh, is an awesome guy too. Back to the booze district. It's worth mentioning that
5: just two miles away, there's some awesome breweries as well. There's Love Lady Brewing, and there's Mojave Brewing, both on Water Street.
0: Water Street, which is also a great up-and-coming neighborhood, and I want to do a show from there soon. Um, other than just talking about the breweries and the locals, beer festivals. I think we, what? by my non-beer geek standards, we have a lot of good ones here. And I've been to quite a few. And Sometimes it gets really tough to keep track of them all on the calendar. So Bob, that's what you're here for. What If somebody's planning a trip to Vegas or just planning their beer drinking out for the year, assuming nothing gets in the way with COVID, <laughs> what big events would you put on the schedule? Well,
5: there's four right now that I can mention Uh, one just happened uh, this past Saturday over at Tuscany which was a locals only beer fest which was fantastic and you know so many people have this pent-up desire to go to beer fest that was the first real beer fest since uh, February of 2020 so uh, a year and a half First beer fest. It was, it was very successful. But coming up on the 21st, August 21st, is the beer bash, which will be another locals-only beer fest. That's going to be hosted at Ellis Island in their front yard. Uh, also, uh, following this is an a week, awesome
0: room at Ellis Island. Oh yeah, uh, new yeah, addition. We were, if you haven't been to Vegas recently, but please go. But
5: home. what's wonderful about that is there's going to be a chance to, to try pretty much all, most, if not all, the local breweries' beers, and that's on August 21st, and that's actually put on by the. Nevada Craft Brewers Association. Uh, a week later, Big Dogs is having one of their regional beer fests, which they used to have every three months. This will be the first one they've had in over a year and a half. Uh, September 25th, Craft House is having their, uh, is it 6th? 7th. 7th anniversary. 7th anniversary. Which is really a beer festival because they have, well, he could probably tell you I could, but they have like a mini beer fest. They have tons of different uh, beers from regional breweries. Outside and then October sixteenth. Unfortunately, we have two on the same day, so because of venue venue uh, uh, situations, they're both on the same day. But the, uh, the the Southern Nevada Brewers Guild is having one out in on Water Street, and the, the Motley Brews Downtown Brewfest is happening out at the Government Center. So those are those are five right there that you could put on your calendar i'm sure there'll be more coming up soon
0: um i want to guess one last question out and then we're gonna i'm gonna wind down unless jason has another one but what is the definitive las vegas style of beer do we have one
4: that's a great question i don't think so and i think it lets us be unique and distinct and innovative and creative and um i wouldn't say i mean i think of all the local breweries and all the different styles and Everyone kind of carves out their own niche and does different things. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know if there's necessarily one. Can you think of one, Bob? I no, did some thinking there? on this. And what I see a lot when I go out
5: and about is I see a lot of uh, gozas, a lot of sours, a lot of IPAs, and a lot of Mexican-style lagers. So that's what I'm seeing the most of to, uh, at the different local breweries.
3: Uh, my, only, my last question would be to Bob. You're such a calm guy. What is the craziest situation you've gotten yourself into when you drank so too much?
4: I'd rather not comment on that.
0: <laughs> uh, but I but, admit, but, but on nothing Facebook that crazy. So far.
4: <laughs> Maybe come to one of the beer fests and uh, tw- lo- towards the <laughs> end look for Bob. <laughs> you might... was, like, funny. I-, I will say I never drive when I go to a beer fest. Good. Good. He's okay. safe.
0: Thank you both. I appreciate your time. Beer and craft beer is alive and well in Clark County, Nevada. Please come down to um, to one of the craft house locations and check it out because the stuff they're feeding us here today is great. We will be back shortly. This is Food and Loathing. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini with producer Rich Johnson. Jason Harris not with us for this segment, but we miss him terribly. And we will be hopefully speaking to him soon. In the meantime, you got to hear him during that beer segment. And I hope you enjoyed the discussion of craft beer. While we're on that topic, this is the segment of the show where we bring you up to date on news and upcoming events. So we should probably also tell you there's another beer festival this weekend. It's always a beer festival. There's always a beer festival because people always want to drink beer. It's not like you have to, you know. What a happy coincidence. Right. Uh, Big Dog Brewing Company's Summer Beer Fest and Reggae Party will take place this Saturday. Um, That is, what's the date on this Saturday? The last Saturday in August, right? Yeah, yeah. The
1: day after we drop this.
0: Yes, the day after this drops. um, That's going to be from 6- to. 11 p.m. at Big Dog's Brewing Company on Rancho Drive. You can get more info on that at BigDogBrews.com Also, since um, Jason's not here today, yeah. we, we want to do something fun and new and interesting and, and exciting. A little segment that um, we're going to call Rich's <laughs> Rant. Since we did our Instagrammer show, I noticed a lot of food videos on our Instagram
1: feed. I assume, Al, you've followed many of these folks, and many others show up on our feed and and on my Instagram account. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to look at just about all of them, and I've taken away a few tips for my own use. And to accomplish the mission, I've noticed a couple of Vegas restaurants that I'll add to my list, too. You know, good-looking stuff. Mm -hmm. But good God, oh dear, there are so... for For every nice video out there in the Instaverse... There are nearly as many awful ones, and I don't mean bad videos. I mean well-lit, nicely composed, high-quality videos of some of the worst excuses for food I have ever seen. Mm. Usually, it involves taking some really good ingredients and completely ruining them with way too many spices or some sort of satanic sauce-drowning ritual. I, I saw six spice, six spices spread on lobster tails before going into a smoker. That's what you do with trash fish, not. Lobster. you going to name some names here when you're ranting? I didn't stay long enough to look <laughs> at the things. A lot of them were not in Vegas. They were from other parts of the world, but but still. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Oh, and then there's that hot, nasty carbon carb action. Things like stuffing pasta into a loaf of bread. I mean, somebody at the International Criminal Court in The Hague should be investigating
0: that so so basically you're mad that there's shitty looking food on the internet i mean all i gotta yeah. say is you're gonna be really pissed when you start reading what people <laughs> have to say about covid the election vaccines <laughs> and whether or not birds are real dude, so dude, um, i
1: spent nine years at fox news i'm pretty well in <laughs>
0: <true>. <laughs> immune to a lot of that stuff oh man in other news this week the life is beautiful festival has announced its culinary lineup Highlights of the general admission offerings include a cocktail school with Bryant and Lyle of Starboard Tech, a live fire cookout curated by our friend Justin Kingsley Hall. There's going to be the return of the plant-based farm stand curated by Diana Edelman of Vegans Baby, and a ticketed dinner series called um, The Omakase. Cantina, curated by Secret Burgers, Jolene Menina, that one's being described as, quote, an exclusive and intimate dining experience that will showcase each chef's unique style and talent through an amakase-style dinner. Um, featured <sighs> chefs for those nights are going to include um, Chef Nicholas from Restaurant Savoie, Chef Gina from La Strega, and oh. uh, Brian Wolf of uh, Brian Howard. Howard of Sparrow and Wolf. Sorry. Oh man. Uh, seatings uh, for at that for those dinners are going to be available to all-in ticket holders, and they may be purchased as general admission add-ons based on availability. Um,
1: I, I was uh, exhausted by the exclusive intimate dining. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. But when you said Gina and Brian, well, maybe I'm in.
0: Yeah. See, once we start mentioning some names, it it all starts to make it sense. It does. Why we're doing this kind of stuff. Uh, this is the time when we would normally do our edibles trial, since we are in a casino right now. I would never bring um, <laughs> marijuana products onto a casino floor. So I did bring you a picture of this little cinnamon toast crunch cereal bar. Okay.
1: Now I get it. When you yeah. described it, I got it. Otherwise, it looked like stuff the the uh, the. Uh, Truffle pigs leave behind.
0: Yeah, no. This is a cinnamon toast crunch cereal bar. I had actually ordered a um a, a Froot Loops cereal bar, but I they I got yeah. the wrong one. My, no problem. My friends over at Excel, I guess, decided to surprise me. Um, but here's the deal. For a lot of a lot of times, I know a lot of you that do eat a lot of edibles, you get um kind of frustrated because I talk about things that are for those who want a very small dose. But this this bar here that I just purchased at a pretty low price, I think it was like th- under $14, has 100 milligrams and it, of THC. Oh, it is only three, by, three inches by three inches by one inch. So, um, look, if you were gonna try to get a 10 milligram dose out of that, you could probably take a one bite out of it. But if you're looking to microdose, this is not it for you. This is really geared towards people who want doses that are maybe 20 milligrams or above, take a solid bite, you know, munch on it with friends, split it up, all the way up to people that want the full 100 milligrams. This is means to an end stuff. Yeah, and but no, you know what, but here's the deal. It, it's a great deal for means to an end, but it also tasted really good. I mean, it tasted <laughs> like junk food. I liked it, man. Um, so I would definitely tell you that be careful with this one. You know, it doesn't have the clear THC markings on it that most edibles have. There's a little kind of strip of um, a paper, sort of, on the very bottom of yeah. it that warns you that it has THC but, um, you know, this you would not leave this out around children or pets um, and because you, you could really do some damage. But for those of you who like the big doses, I like this. And at the price, it's really cool. I got it over at Exhale, but the company is called FX, E-F-F-E-X. So I give them a, a good, rec- good recommendation for those of you that are in it to win it. Also speaking, and I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll have some more on this as it comes up, but our old friend Stacy Dugan, who is the um, great vegan chef here in Las Vegas. She's also a good edible chef. She gave me a call to let me know that she is finally doing one of those chef's edibles dinners that I talked about. It's at a secret location. It's coming up in September. I think I have September 6th down as the date. I'm gonna have to double check that one. Um, But you can go to secretgather.com and it's $125 a ticket. They will not be announcing the location until that day. Uh, it'll be someplace in Las Vegas, and they're only going to seat 65 guests. If you do go to secretgather.com, you'll find some more info on that. Um, you'll also need a password to buy a ticket. That is I2021! Exclamation point. I as in a pirate. I-A-Y-E-A-Y-E. E- A-Y-E. Sorry. I. Sorry. I. A- I, A- y- A-Y-E. I yes. screwed
1: it up for you. Like Start. Al Mancini,
0: <laughs> like A Y E two o two one exclamation point, and that's going to be your password. So I wanted to let people know about that because we do love Stacy, and I know some of you do watch us, um, you know, do do this to this because you want to know about how to get some edibles in you. So that is the way to go on that one. And
1: that's it for episode eleven of Food and Loathing. Thanks to our guests, which
0: you remember. I mean we had I'm um, sorry Just our beer our craft house yeah. folks sorry yeah thanks to our guests um Dave Forrest and to um to Bob Barnes doing an incredible job bringing us all up to date on the local craft beer scene please continue to follow us folks on um all the social medias we're at food loathing at food or oh, you're going to do it from twitter, memory huh at food loathing on twitter twitter we're at at food and loathing pod on instagram we are um food and loathing pod you can search for that on facebook and you will find us there also i am seriously hoping that by the time this goes up um i will have my own website up which is going to be theneonmohawk.com. i'll be doing some blogging over there and you'll also be able to listen to all the back episodes of um of this podcast there but of course, you're already listening to us, so you already know yeah. how to download things. What these do you things, care? So you don't care. <laughs> but that's some good stuff to know. And um, we're excited to be coming back next week. Very um, yeah, have Jason back in the studio and do some fun things like that. Rich, anything else to add? It's time to get out of here before they throw us out of here. Time to get out of here. Oh, big, big thanks to our friends at Circa for letting us be up at the Legacy Club, which is just an absolutely oh gosh, yes. gorgeous room, gorgeous view. Um, my favorite place to watch the sun set. And you'll hear more from this setting at the Legacy Club coming up in a future episode. That is it for today with Rich Johnson. I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Hey.